Father, we are grateful for this. Father, we are thankful that you are God. Father, if it was not you, we would not exist. Lord, we pray this morning that as we look in your word, that your spirit would move and that your spirit would speak to us whatever it is that you would have us know. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Well, good morning, Mercy Hill. My name is Matt Beachy. For those of you who do not know, or those of you who may be joining us for the first time, I want to first start off and let you know that it is an honor, a privilege, and a responsibility that I do not take lightly to bring to you the word of the Lord this morning. Before we start this morning, or as we get started, let us just begin by reading our portion of Scripture this morning. If you have been following along with us in our Bible reading plan, this last week had us reading two chapters in the first book of Kings, chapters 18 and 19. This morning we are going to look at the 18th chapter in the first book, starting in verse 20. So let us begin. In verse 20 it says, So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different options, opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I even, I only, am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us, and let them choose one bull for themselves, and cut it into pieces, and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull, and lay it on the wood, and put no fire to it. And you will call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all all the people answered, it is well spoken. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first, for you are many, and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it and called upon the name of the Baal for the morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and there was no answer. And they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon Elijah mocked them, crying, or saying, cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is musing, or he is relieving himself, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. And when they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances, until blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of offering of oblation. But there was no voice. No one answered, and no one paid attention. Then Elijah said to the people, Come near to me. And the people came near to him, and he prepared the altar of the Lord 
that had been thrown down. And Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord and made a trench around the altar as great as could contain two seas of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bowl into pieces and laid it on the wood and said, fill four jars of water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. And at the time of the offering of oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abram, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things according to all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then fire uh, then the fire from the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering on the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Let no one escape. And they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook of Kishon and slaughtered them there. Let's pray one more time. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this story, Lord. Father, thank you for faithful servants like Elijah. I just pray, Lord, as we get into this and we take a deeper look, Father, that you would, again, continue to stir our hearts and renew our minds. Amen. So, I want to begin this morning with a question. And that question is... um, What is it that you think of when you think of the term idolatry? You may go back to um, Moses and the Exodus story and the destruction of the golden calf. You may simply think of Baal. You may think of the account that we just read. And if you didn't, that's quite all right. Um, Perhaps you may even go back to the Ten Commandments. Uh, I will remind you of the first two. It says that you shall have no other gods before me, and you shall make for yourself, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is on the earth, in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. So one of the things that happens when we read these stories is that we can see how wrong the Israelites were for doing what they did. It's very easily, very easy, I guess, to condemn them for their worship of Baal. And I just want to draw on this context briefly. As Jonas talked about last week, King Ahab had taken Jezebel, a non-God-fearing woman, as his wife and allowed uh, the practice of Baal worship to continue on in the, uh, in the land. Um, making Baal worship the assumed, uh, quote-unquote, state religion. Um, Now, Baal, being the god of fertility, the bringer of rain, the fertility of the earth, as you would call it, um, worship of him as well as his mistress, um, Asherah, as you 
in verse nine talks about, 19 talks about Asherah a little bit. But it makes sense in an agrarian culture why anybody would easily fall to the worship of some form of fertility. Um, it would, yeah. It makes complete sense, actually, because in an agrarian culture where fertility of the land is what you live on and what you need, um, fertility, gods of fertility, um, makes sense to join them. Now, I am not here to make an excuse for these people, or um, I am not here excusing the Israelites of what happened. But I would like to com- draw a comparison, I guess, upon the people in this story and us today. Now granted, we don't necessarily have a state religion. The argument could be made that a country such as ours has long turned its back upon God for the sake of ourselves. You see, the place that we come home is fairly self-indulgent. The country that we live in loves one thing, and that is itself. And the country that loves itself is built upon people who love themselves. So we no longer have physical idols like we did back in this day, but rather the idols in which we experience usually are looking us in the mirror every morning. And why not? It feels good to be comfortable. It feels good to get whatever I want whenever I want it. And especially in the world that we live in now, everything is merely one click away. But brothers and sisters, please hear me this morning when I say this in love. If we do not turn away from our current state religion, the self, then things are not going to go well for us in the afterlife. To the people of Israel, Baal was a state religion. As human beings, our natural state is a religion of sin. And therein lies the problem. The state's religion has gone from something that is outside of ourselves to something more internal. As we worship ourselves in our natural state of sin, we are in a perpetual state of sin worship. Now, there are several implications that we can draw from this passage that I would like to share with you this morning. Uh, The first of them is being, we need to recognize who it is that we are serving. So in verse 21 it said, Elijah came near to all the people and said, how long will you go on limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, then follow him, but if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. It is quite possible that the first sin ever committed was idolatry. Even if you go back before Adam and Eve, um, but rather return to Lucifer being cast out of heaven. Why was he cast out? Because instead of worshiping God, he believed that he in himself discerned his own worship. If you want to know just how serious God is about his worship and how serious he is about idolatry, again, I would return you back to Exodus 20 when he says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. I want to make it very clear, and as clear as I possibly can. God and God alone is worthy of our worship. He knows this, 
The spirit that dwells with inside of us knows this. Yet we allow ourselves to become self-involved, so self-involved, that we ignore this fact and we begin to worship ourselves. It is very easy in 2021 to become quote-unquote self-indulged or self-involved. Literally, everything that is in our society is created to get is created around getting us what we want, uh, what we think we want, uh, and what our carnal desires are as quickly as possible. There are countless self-help books, best life now experiences, personality surveys that uh, help us identify my wants, my needs, my personality. Even at this point, in church land 2021, churches are now willing to help people get exactly what it is that they want. And we forget that the purpose, um, that our purpose is to worship the one and only thing that deserves our worship, and that is the Lord Almighty. Now, in 1991, uh, Aaron Tippin released a song called, You've Got to Stand for Something or You'll Fall for Anything. And when I read this story, this song comes to my mind. In an agrarian culture where fertility of the soil reigns supreme in the midst of a drought, makes complete sense uh, why a person would turn to the God of quote-unquote rain. Yet, the tradition of those people is continue to go to the synagogue on the day um, and you go to the synagogue whether it is for your mom's sake or your dad's sake or the sake of what the rest of the neighborhood will think of you. You see it's very simple. Um, We must stand for something and on something or we will fall for anything. We must be stand We must stand upon the truth of the word. We must stand upon the justification that comes with faith in Christ alone. Or we will be pulled into anything. It makes me wonder then too about our time today. Going to church. Is it something that we do out of desire of worship the Lord? Or is it something that we do out of duty because it's part of the tradition? Worship is to be done in reverence and in love, not out of tradition and duty. We worship God not, of, not out of our own self-grandiosity, but rather we worship God because we are told to do so. There is only one thing in this realm that deserves our worship, and that is God Almighty. And we are to put no false gods before Him, even if that is ourself. This matters because there is going to come a day where you and I will stand before the throne of God and he is going to judge us. And that judgment is going to be one of two things. It will either be eternity with the Lord Almighty or it will be eternal damnation away from him. It is a matter of your eternal security and it is a matter of eternity with God or it is a matter of eternity away from God. My dear brothers and sisters, We will not get to worship ourselves in this lifetime. And then, on the day of our our judgment, stand before the throne of a perfectly righteous and just God and say, I was fairly successful in my lifetime. I made money. 
I had my status, I understood my personality really well, and so you can judge me upon those things. We cannot worship two things. You see, this is what Elijah is doing in this story. He's telling the people to stop worshiping Baal and Yahweh. It is futile. You cannot worship Baal Monday through Saturday and then worship God on Sunday. You will either, you will either worship one or the other. If you remember, in Revelations 3, the church, of, the church of Laodicea, it says, I know your works are neither hot nor cold. What that you are either hot or cold. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. It is not enough to worship God one day of the week and some other thing, the other six. And the reverse is also true. It is not enough to worship God six days a week and something else another one. We are called to worship all the time and worship the Lord of Lords, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. Nothing else in this realm deserves his, our worship, period. So then the question becomes, what do I do? First, we must dwell in biblical community. It's the only way we're going to be able to recognize what it is that we're doing. This is what Elijah is doing for Israel. This is what it is, biblical community that brings to light when we go astray. Brothers and sisters, we need to recognize that even in Churchland, USA, people behind a pulpit will say things like, God wants you to be rich, God wants you to be happy now, or God wants to pull a drought out of you. If we are not dwelling in biblical community, we will fall for anything. Ultimately, we need to recognize that what we've been worshiping has not been the Lord. And this should lead us to fall upon our knees and repent. Idolatry is sin, which means that we need to repent, we need to pray for forgiveness, and turn our hearts back to the Lord. And we need to recognize that man, left alone to his own desires, will never choose good because man has a totally depraved heart. However, as we read in this story, there is really good news. We need to restore our confidence in the Lord. In verse 20, starting in verse 27, it says, At the noon, at noon, Elijah mocked them saying, cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is musing, or he is relieving himself, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until blood gushed upon them. As midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of oblation, but there was no voice. No one answered and no one paid attention. Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench out of the altar as great, 
as great as would contain two seeds of seed. And he put in the wood in order to cut he put the wood in order and he cut the bowl into pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, Fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering of the wood. And he said, Do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, Do it a third. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench with water. And at the time of the offering of oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abram, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are the God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things according, uh, all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then fire from the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stone and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. You and I serve the God of gods, the Lord of hosts. There is literally nothing greater than our God. The God that you and I serve sent fire down from the sky and literally consumed an entire burnt offering and licked up the water in a trench. This should stir some things. Our God is so great and so mighty that you and I should never, ever, ever waver in our confidence. I just want you to picture this. 450 people. I don't, we don't have 450 people here, I don't think. Think of what that crowd may look like. All around one altar. Think about the group think that happens there. Think about 400, like we read these and we're like, oh, 450, it's not, 450 people is a lot of people. Except, they have 450 people, okay. So, worshiping their God that they believed would send them fire, or maybe they didn't believe it, but at least they believed it to the point of cutting and gashing themselves. Except the God that you and I serve is the same God that Elijah served. And Elijah had confidence that the Lord would strike his altar with such force and such magnitude that it would consume literally every part of that altar, leaving no doubt who the true God was and who was deserving of worship. In the same sense, when we are called to be disciples of Jesus and obey his commands and are truly saved, we need to act in our lives with such confidence. We know with confidence that by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that on the day of judgment, we will stand before the Almighty God, fully righteous, knowing that we will get to spend eternity with him. There are many examples in the Bible of this confidence. The type of confidence where entering into the arena of competition or whatever it is, where success or victory is already guaranteed. But there is no greater example or story of this in the Bible than that of Christ crucified. Christ knew the end result when he allowed himself to be sacrificed for us. 
what Christ did on the cross not only saved us from eternal damnation, but it also defeated death. And since the death and resurrection of Jesus, every believer who has passed or has gone to meet their maker has been rightly judged as righteous because of the sacrifice that Jesus has made for them made for us. We walk in confidence as believers, not in our ability to do anything, but we walk in the confidence knowing that when we are judged, that we will be judged as righteous before the Lord, and we will walk in confidence in Him, in He who promises that we will be judged righteous. We are to boldly worship the Lord, regardless of what others may say or think. We must boldly proclaim the word of the Lord. And I say rightly, because if you noticed in verse 40, it says this, Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal, let no one one of them escape. And they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook of Kishon and slaughtered them there. There is no place in the kingdom for false prophets. The gospel means good news, and there is a reason for good news. The good news is that Christ saved us from eternal damnation. If people are not willing to love you enough to tell you that in your own flesh that you are a sinner and that you are unable to become righteous before the Lord, and without Christ you are eternally damned to hell, then brothers and sisters, This isn't sharing love, and this isn't sharing the gospel. The law is perfect and righteous, and we alone are unable to fulfill it. And it's only through the gift of grace that comes with faith in Christ alone that you will ever be able to spend eternity with the Lord. As believers, being justified by the death and resurrection of Jesus, we can boldly proclaim this above any other. Think about this for one second, just real quick. Replay the story, except God doesn't send fire down. And Elijah is probably seized by the prophets of Baal, and he is then slaughtered, right? Would be worst case scenario to replay it. How horrible is that, though? We often think of worst case scenario as death. But doesn't death just mean it's the end of my sanctification process and the beginning of my glorification. As confident believers, death is not something to fear. It's something that brings relief. You see, the end of the world isn't bad for believers. It's a relief. The one thing that we all fear, or should fear, the world tells us to fear, actually leads us to the day of our glorification because of what Jesus did for us on that cross when he defeated death. And so we are to boldly proclaim the word of the Lord. So then, what do we do? We are to repent from our idolatry and return to the worship of the Lord. In verse 39, it says, And when all the people saw it, 
they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. We are to die to our flesh and to our sin and pursue worship of God. Romans 6 says, For if, if we have been united with him in a death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we no longer are enslaved to sin. For no one, uh, for one who has died has, ne- has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with, Christ, with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Oftentimes, we look for some form of proof. Part of what helps display confidence is proof, examples, things we can talk about. Some form of supernatural experience. Because God that we serve is not of this natural world. I'm here to tell you that you in your Christian life may never experience an audible voice from the Lord. And you may never experience seeing an angel. And you may never experience some great dream where you see how your entire life will be planned out. But I'm here to tell you folks that we worship a supernatural God and everything that you experience from him is supernatural. You have a desire to worship God. You have a desire to have a relationship with him. These are supernatural things because they are out, outside of man's natural desires. feel like supernatural we'll reel it back the point here though that I'm trying to make my plea with you this morning is that we turn from our idols that we worship the Lord in order to do so we must first humble ourselves we must recognize that our justification is by grace alone and it is through faith in Christ alone Once we recognize that our salvation is in those things alone and that it's by none of our own things or none of our own doings, then we can begin to truly and and rightly worship God. If we want to stand before the Lord in the day of judgment, righteous and blameless before Him, then we must return to His worship. A truly regenerated heart desires worshiping God. We are to approach our worship in reverence for what the Lord has done for us, as well as with humble hearts, for we know that it is Him who saves. The Paul Washer quote goes as this, God saved us from Himself, for Himself, and by Himself. In Hebrews 12, it says, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus 
Let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Part of the worship process is repentance from sin. It's going to, hard, it's going to be hard for someone to truly worship the Lord humbly while not recognizing that they have not been worshiping the Lord at all. Repentance requires humility, and true worship of the Lord requires repentance, which means that true worship requires humility. One way we can do this is to recognize what our idols are. This is why we must exist within biblical community so that our brothers and sisters can correct us when we stray. Our job is to be able to humble ourselves, to hear the voices of correction and not take offense. It's not for their sake when somebody points out your idols, but it is out of love that people point out our idols. Oftentimes, our sin becomes our idol. Whether it is habitual sin or whether it is a sin that we have personalized or that we have made it a part of us or we have made it a part of our personality or we've just called it the way that I am. When we become consumed by these things, excuse me, that comes along with our sin and we say, well, God is a loving God and so he will love me and my sin. I'm here to tell you that God hates sin and the presence of sin and God may not coexist. And if I am so in love with my sin that I'm worshiping it, then it's really going to be hard for my presence and God to coexist. Imagine with me for a moment, Christ hung on the cross for our sins our sins killed him. In the first book of Peter, in the second chapter, the 24th verse, it says, He himself bore our sins in his body on that tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. The sins that Christ bore for our sake, brothers and sisters, if we don't believe God hates those sins, I am begging you today to humble yourself repent from idolatry, and return to rightly worshiping the Lord. In 2021, no one is building a statue or no one is building a physical temple for you to go and worship some false god. But think about this. Baal being our, the state of worship contextually, or the state worship contextually back then, the state god my question would be is, what is that for us in 2021? What is our state worship? Um, we don't necessarily have a physical place where it's state mandated for people to go worship. But I think about um, what do we most worship in our country? We worship maybe our freedom, maybe our individual sovereign rights, our money, our status, our government officials, our education, or our careers. These are the things that we are consistently being told are going to bring us fertility. The things that we desire, the things that we believe carnally that we need. 
We don't worship them necessarily externally, but we build the idols in our hearts and we worship them there. Instead, brothers and sisters, I would implore you to recognize this. Know that what consumes your mind and time is what you're worshiping. You want to spend all your time fighting for your money or your status, then it will consume you. And it will draw your attention away from what you should be doing, which is worshiping the Lord. What you actually need, which is worshiping the Lord. You cannot serve two masters. It's, n it's not a matter of, can I choose this day to do this, and then this day I'll choose to serve the Lord, and then these days I'll serve this. It can't be that way. In Mark 8, it says, And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But for whoever loses his life for my sake, the, uh, for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and in my words, uh, of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. Let us, as individuals, as families, and as a church, never be swayed from worshiping the Lord Almighty and worshiping him rightly. It is not through any other lens than the lens of the Bible and how the Bible tells us to worship him. Even if it means it makes me uncomfortable, even if it means that it goes against what society is telling me, and even if it means it goes against my carnal desires. We are to stand with courage and strength and humility and rightly worship the Lord and recognize our sinful nature and our need for Jesus. Worship team, you can come on up. So, there are a couple of things that I would like to ask before we close today. I think, so, some of the implications here, and the questions that need to be asked, I think most obvious would be, who or what is your idol? You could ask, what consumes my mind or your mind? What am I worshiping? Have you humbled yourself to the will of God? True worship requires humility. In verse 36, Elijah prayed, um, O Lord, God of Abram, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known that this day that you are the God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. And finally, 
have you surrounded yourself with biblical community? We have small churches here. We do offer discipleship here. The importance of biblical community. Have you surrounded yourself with that as a way to safeguard yourself? We want to, we want to worship the Lord rightly. If we want, when we want to worship the Lord rightly, we need to recognize that it is God and God alone who saves us. We must repent from our unbelief and from our sin, and we must humble ourselves and submit ourselves to the will of God. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for being God. Lord, I just pray that as we go from here today, Father, that you would draw us to you, Father, that you would lead us to humility and that we would return to rightly worshiping you. Father, it is what we are called to do. And Father, it is only through you that we are secure with our eternal safety. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.